0: Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding, Ken's Movie Reviews. If you could read my mind right now, you would know that I was about to talk about Dr. Sleep, the sequel to The Shining that just came out not too long ago. As always, we will begin the review with a spoiler-free section telling you whether I think that this is something you should see in the theaters, whether it is something that you should wait for on Blu-ray, possibly your favorite streaming service, or maybe something to give a pass, something to maybe, if it's on TBS or something, give it a watch, you know, something like that. Uh, After which we will get into a more discerning, dissective exploration of the movie. We're going to talk about the cast. We're going to talk about the director, costuming and props, location, cinematography, plot and writing, and any bonus points that I happen to decide make sense for this particular film. It's all going to add up to a total of 100 points, if it's perfect. If not, it will be somewhat less than that. Now, on to the show. Now, as always, uh, I try and go into any movie without any expectations, very difficult to do when you're doing a sequel to a movie like the shining has a lot of baggage going into it. Plus, a, a huge time differential, um, between when the, the original was released and this particular sequel. But to, I think, uh, to a great degree, I was able to go in with an, a blank slate. I really enjoyed this film. um, is it something that I would necessarily suggest seeing in the theater? Maybe. Um, probably not. This is something I'd probably suggest more on a Blu-ray or a streaming. It's definitely worth watching. Um, all, altogether, a very enjoyable film. And it's mildly disappointing to see that it's, it's not gotten the response that I kind of hoped that it would. Um, but uh, ultimately, you know, c'est la vie. Uh, do what you can with it, but I, I definitely think it's something that's worth worth looking at at some point if you have not done so. Now, uh, on to the spoiler-heavy section. We're going to do an abbreviated version of this just because uh, I'm trying to make it so that it's more streamlined, more listener-friendly, uh, less of me just going on and on about things. But uh, as I like to do, uh, I think we are going to either start with cast or director. Let's go with the director. Okay. Um, Mike Flanagan, uh, he has been known for a variety of projects. He's got quite a few under his belt, uh, The Haunting of Hill House, Ouija, Origin of Evil, Oculus. He's got quite a few things. So he knows horror. This film really isn't horror, um, but it has its origins in horror. I think, uh, I think he did a great job all in all, um, the fact that it's not somebody I was completely familiar with was probably a good thing. Helped me keep that, uh, that no mind going into the film so that I could uh, judge it on its own merits one way or the other. I don't have any expectations for anything, really. Um, I think the story that was told was really interesting, and I think that there was not a lot of... Um, not a lot of extra stuff that you did. Obviously there's always going to be stuff that's going to get hit the cutting room floor or whatever. Um, But sometimes some movies don't seem to flow as well as others. This movie went really fast. Um, At least it felt that way to me. Um, It's not a quick movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I never got bored. So the pacing was really good. Um, I thought there were enough callbacks that, uh, it tied together well to the the original material. Um, I mean, just all in all, I think he did a fantastic job. I don't have a whole lot more to say on that. I'm going to give him a 15 out of 20 on that one and kind of move on. The casting on this was solid. Now, first of all, anytime you get Ewan McGregor in a movie, I'm likely going to enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I happen to think he's one of the better actors of his generation. Um, even taking into account uh, what I think are, are maybe not so good movies to be in, like the uh, the prequels to the Star Wars films. Uh, he was one of the bright spots of those films. So even though I didn't particularly enjoy that, I enjoyed his performance in them. Um, and I kind of figured I wouldn't this, and I was not not surprised. Uh, he did a great job. He, he has very good screen presence. He Can connect very well with audience members. I think Uh, just all all in all, great. You got Rebecca Ferguson in it now. She was just in Men in Black International, um, maybe a film that didn't do quite as well as they were hoping, but. Looks like fun. I will eventually watch it. Just had, uh, unfortunately, one of those instances where I just didn't have time to get to it. Too many movies, too much other stuff to do. But she was also in the uh, Mission Impossible series. She was in the last Mission Impossible, Fallout, and uh, at least one of the other films. Um, She's always solid, too, from what I've seen. I mean, I'm not super familiar with her work, but everything that I've seen her in, whenever she's been in it, has been pretty awesome, including this. This is more of a Frontline role that I've seen her in And she nails it Uh, She did really well Uh, If you're going to have A main villain in it uh, That's going to be in this kind of I'm not going to call it moral ambiguity Because it really isn't But uh, relatable villainhood Let's call it that She does a great job of that Uh, And there's a lot of style that needs to be needs to be put into it for the type of character that she played and uh, The writing was there for it, and she did a great job of bringing it out. Um, uh, just a couple other things. Uh, Kylie Curran, who played Abra, uh, not been in a lot of stuff as of this point, but she just did great. I mean, really good outing on this film. I thought she had a lot of charisma and uh, definitely has a huge upside. I think she's going to do great in future films. Uh, Emily Allen Lind, um, not real familiar with her work. She's still pretty young, but she's been in a lot of stuff. I mean, if you watch the re- uh, show revenge, she's been in that. Um, she, she kind of stole the show and I think they intended that for the character that she was playing to a certain extent. Uh, if they didn't intend it, then they saw that she was going to steal the show and wrote the part to, to fit it. But, um, uh, she really pops in the performance and she has a huge upside too. I just, uh, I thought she did a great job. Um, now I, I have a funny feeling I'm going to mispronounce this. I even looked this up. I'm trying to do better. I'm really good at mispronouncing names, but I apologize. I think that's Carol Stroykin. Uh, he played Lurch in the Adams Family movies. He was in the first Men in Black, uh, albeit briefly. Uh, you ha- would have a hard time missing who this is. He's been in a lot of stuff, generally really good, and good in this, too, in a supporting role. Uh, Carl Lumbly uh, plays Dick Halloran. Now, here's here's the fun thing. Um, this, this dude's been in a lot of stuff. He's like, in, in my mind, kind of sci-fi royalty and, and to a certain extent. Uh, it was in Babylon 5, if I remember correctly. He voiced Martian Manhunter in several of the cartoons. He played Martian Manhunter's dad in Supergirl, um, which I thought was awesome. But the thing that that really struck me, and I'm going to talk a little more about this once we get there, um, well, in a moment, I guess, Um He really looked like Scatman Crothers. I mean, just really, really close in appearance. And, you know, seeing him in the other stuff, I really don't see him as somebody that normally does look like him. But through the combination of uh, what they had him wear and maybe whatever um, makeup or anything that they had to have for that, whatever it was, wow, spitting image. I mean, just amazingly close. Um, in fact, of the people that they got to play the roles that were in the previous film, his was the best by far. Um, really, really good. Um, the, the people that they got to play like uh, Jack Torrance, which would be Henry Thomas, uh, by the way, Elliot in E.T., um, while he did a good job, does not look like Jack Nicholson. Does not even come close to looking like Jack Nicholson he had mannerisms, he had movements, but every time looked at him, it's like, that's not Jack Nicholson. Um, and it was it was like that for each of the individuals from the previous film. Nobody else looked anywhere near like the previous roles. And, and I mean, how could they? I mean, these people are really, really individual looking. Uh, that didn't come out right. It makes them sound like they're in, in a in a sideshow somewhere, but they're, they're very identifiable. That's the word I was looking for. And it's, it would be really difficult to, to find somebody to, to, to have that same kind of um, visual recognition. Uh, So I think that was going to be kind of insurmountable to begin with. Now the acting they did was fine. They did a good job with that, but um, yeah, it just, that was maybe one of the things that threw me off just, just a little bit. I mean, there, there may have been no, no way around that, uh, unfortunately. Um, but while this was not what I would call the, the top tier star studded cast, that wasn't what this movie needed. You needed a couple of really, really solid central individuals, uh, flanked by really competent, um, second string players uh, for lack of a better world but uh b- b- lack of a better world this is a good evening um but people that can bring out the best in the people that they work with and that's what they got um so casting i think they did great i'm going to give them a 15 out of 20 on that costuming and props this is one of the strengths of the film um the original film had a lot of just kind of Nothing that was, uh, for the most part, pushing boundaries until they got into the horror elements where you had the ghosts or undead or or whatever you wanted to call it. Um, In this film, it's kind of the same thing. There's not a lot of need for stylized costuming with the exception of the ghosts and whatever. However... The more normalized clothing, well, I mean, for example, uh, Rebecca Ferguson's character, uh, top hat, uh, you know, it's her outfit was very singular, very distinctive, and and they they did a great job with that. And each of the characters had a very distinctive look to them, even um, even the ones that were more normal people that are going to be, or at least those that are representing normal people, they all had a very signature uh, look that's really hard to come off when you're trying to make everything look kind of normal. Um, So that did really good. The uh, visual effects of the boxes in, um, in the mind to, to hold the spirits very, very cool. Um, You know, just uh, the, the mind, the mind, the mind, castle, I guess, for lack of a better word, where you keep your memories and those things. It was just done really well. Uh, Give them a 9 out of 10 on that one. Um, Not a lot of locations, um, which is good for this kind of film. You know, you got about three or four major locations with a handful of uh, smaller locations that are going to play into it. the big thing that was going to be important in my mind going into it, if they were going to go back to the hotel, it needed to look like the hotel, be the same hotel or at least be close to it. And they needed something that was different, drastically different. And they pulled that off very well. The, the hotel looked exactly right. Um, you know, aged down a little bit. Uh, worse for the wear, just the way that it should have been. Um, and the apartment that, uh, you McGregor, uh, is in that is really distinctive, especially when balanced against the home of Abra, uh, a little more posh, a little more upscale, kind of that, um, comparison is, is kind of nice. It's like getting the salty and the sweet together. They did a good job with that. Um, nothing that really was too amazing. Um, but, uh, You know, nothing that made me go, that's just incredible, but nothing that goes, that was just stupid either. So I got to give that an eight out of 10. They did a good job on that. Um, Cinematography. Okay, so I was almost immediately put off at the beginning of the film. I was afraid this was going to affect me for the whole film, but it didn't because the movie was good enough that I just forgot about it within just a few minutes. But. The camera work coming down, they do an aerial shot coming down through the trees early in the film. And I'm not sure if they used some sort of winch or whether they were using a drone or whatever it was, but the uh, camera work was shaky. Uh, and it's not like intentionally shaky, like it's supposed to be smooth, but it's just kind of slightly off. And because it was just slightly off, it kind of messed with me a little bit. Um, and at first, I thought this was going to be just like a. a uh, a set of colossal failures. Because then I saw uh, the little boy on the three-wheeler in the in the uh, hotel. It's like, oh, okay. And then the actor was different. It's like, and it was clearly different. But it looked like they were trying to mask it because you know you get the shot from behind, mostly behind, just a little to the left. You see his face. Like, oh, that's not the same kid. Of course, it's not the same kid. Can't be the same kid. But that's the first thing I think when I see it. And that's, you know, it's like, oh, that's that's awful. But it really wasn't. Um, it was, it was all in my head, nothing that was really, uh, an issue with the film itself. Now, most of the cinematography in it is beautiful. Um, there isn't, there isn't a lot of the film that needs anything that's complicated shooting wise, but there's a handful of scenes that are fairly complex between the CGI necessary to pull it off and the, the concepts within it are different enough that you don't see them in other films, but need to be pulled off, like the mental battle between Top Hat and Abra, that was done really well. Um, the the lead up to it when Top Hat is flying through the air uh, from meditation is gorgeous. I mean, it's it's just really, really well done. Um, so, I mean, barring a handful of just small issues that I had, small technical issues, I think they did really well. Uh, the final scene when you're going to have that kind of climactic battle between everybody and the bringing back of the spirits, the effects that they used again, very well done, maybe a little understated, uh, when they're, they're, um, having the possession, uh, occur, but, eh, it, again, it, uh, again, understated, it's mostly okay on that too. So I got to give them a 16 out of 20, um, plot and writing. This is obviously always the meat, um, I was curious. This was not a sequel I ever saw coming. I thought the original Shining, with all of the hullabaloo that was to do with that, was just going to be all we were ever going to get. I mean, it was clearly different from the original novel. That's well documented, the issues between Kubrick and uh, Stephen King, but... Um, so i never thought we were going to see anything else whether it's a whether it was a remake or whether it was a sequel or whatever it was just never going to happen so i was very optimistic going into this in one sense but knowing that it wasn't going to be kubrick taking uh the the sequel and um you you never know what that other vision is going to be and whether it's going to try and be truer to the, to the books or whether it's going to try and continue the vision of the original director of the original film. There's a lot of ways that it could really go bad. Um, so I guess the easy way to say it is that was a tiptoeing through a minefield that they did very, very well. I think maybe one of the smartest things that was done was to approach this as not so much of a horror movie. To make it more of um, a supernatural suspense uh, is more what it felt like to me. There is very, very little gore in this film. Um, I mean, there's some blood and, and things like that, uh, but for the most part, it's, it's fairly fairly clean. The, the horror is in the concept. Um, there's a lot of really good character building, and that's always a big thing for me. Any sort of character development is really important, and each of the protagonists between um, Abra and um, Abra and Ewan McGregor's character both develop well over the film. Uh, they make serious changes, and, and they are lasting, and that's good. And the support characters have some development as well, which is often very difficult to do. Even the antagonists, to a certain extent, have some development. So that i, I got to give applause to that. Um, the overall plot is interesting. It's kind of a fun way to add in an element to an existing world. Um, I really liked the direction that they go with it. I did have a couple of minor issues. Um, things are not defined very well. Power levels are not defined real well. What, I mean, they're, they're talking about comparative psychic capabilities, but they never really go into any sort of details. Of what makes who better? They talk about types of psychics. They never really go into the full type of psychics. They just give you kind of a taste, which that part is fine. This is a movie, not an encyclopedia. But without some sort of a frame of reference, it doesn't mean anything. So you never, you know, talking about, the, talking about the, the steam, as they call it, psychic, what is that? What is it really? How much really can you expect to get out of it? What does it really do? How does this change people into what they are? There's a lot of questions they don't even bother to address. Uh, some of it, it, it's fine to not address in the sense that you only have so much time, and it's really not important to the plot, maybe. But without it, it feels kind of like you're being, um, not, you're not, well, you're not getting the whole story. And it, it loses some of its meaning in the process. Um, so I, I had a little bit of issue with that. And, well, I mean, for example, um, Top Hat is not a match for Abra until the end when she absorbs some steam. Not a lot. She only has two canisters. But what's in the canisters? What does it really mean? What is it? Why is she now strong enough to face both of them? It's never explained, and that annoyed the crap out of me. Um, it's, it's always an issue I have. Similar things happen in like zombie films where they never really explain how the zombie outbreak occurs or why zombies react the, the way that they do. Uh, or, you know, like in World War Z, where why does the doctor count the time that it takes after somebody's bit to turn into a zombie? Why does he think to do that? There's never been a zombie outbreak. There's no reason for him to do that. He's in the middle of a mass panic to get away from people that are trying to kill you. Doesn't make any sense. So things like that, it just it irritates me just a little bit. Um It's not enough to ruin anything by any stretch of the imagination. The dialogue is solid. The plot line is good. It never really gets off the rails. Um, There are consequences for actions, which are always nice. Uh, Not a lot of plot hammers. A little bit of plot hammer in there, but not not a terrible amount. All in all, just pretty good. Um, To tie it up, I guess we'll call that 17. That brings our grand total score to an 80 out of 100, which is... Well, pretty solid. An 80 gets you a solid uh, solid B-, minus, which is something that I would call a film that I would watch again, probably in the future. But uh, what about you? What do you think? Did you see Dr. Sleep? What are your opinions? Share them with us on social media. We are on Twitter, at Real Pudding Guys. We are on Facebook, at PuddingGuys. That's our same handle on Instagram. You can even find us on Patreon, at PuddingGuys now on patreon for just a dollar a month you can support us and help us find new people to talk to for interviews new equipment to sound better new reasons to do new stuff you know it's just a fantastic thing all around and we always appreciate our patrons but until next time keep watching movies and let us know of anything interesting that you see bye bye now